welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. We've been going through a series as a church about serving God, serving people. We're reading through the Gospels right now as a church, through the, as you heard earlier, the Gospel Project, reading through that, the life of Jesus and the life he lived, and the observations that these Gospel writers have given to us um, really brings to light how we are supposed to live as people. In fact, um, I think it's important that we do these connect groups, and again, if you want to look at these um, in your booklet that you have, uh, please do that, and we encourage you to be a part of that. Um, there's a reason why we're, we do this is because we want you to grow in your walk with the Lord. We want you to build relationships with people and uh, to really do what Jesus taught us to do, and that is live life together and not isolated from each other. And so we encourage you at the end of the service today to, to go and check some things out, be a part of that, and uh, you'll see the blessing and benefit that you will get from these, um, these groups that are meeting um, throughout the week or even on a Sunday or a Wednesday night. So we encourage you to be a part of that. Um, but, to, but this morning we're going to jump into God's Word, talking about the blessing of community, um, talking about something that's a very um, a popular chapter, I guess, in the Word of God, but it's a very challenging chapter in the Word of God when it talks about how to live in a community of, uh, in a place where there's imperfect people. How many understand that there's, when there's people, there's problems, right? We all have the issues. We all have problems. So how does a group of people like that walk together to follow the Lord? How does a group of people, uh, you know, what do we do when you see an imperfection in somebody else's life? What do you do when you see an imperfection in your own life? How do you address it? Jesus talks about that here, but I think it's so cool that every community has their, their way of doing things, right? For example, maybe over the holiday season, you had certain traditions that your family does. Some, you know, maybe read the Word of God before they open presents. Somebody may, you know, do a song or whatever. And so there's different traditions, you know, that you may do that other people may not do, or they might think it's weird um, that you do that. But how many know this is just, you do that because that's who you are. That's your family. That's your group of people that you like to be around, as well as a community. There are certain things that are popular in a community that other communities might look at and say, that's a little strange, right? And so, because there's a, you know, but the other community is just like, hey, this is who we are. We're not going to hide who we are. We're going to be proud of, of our community. We're going to be proud of what we do. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite things to do, maybe it's yours, is to watch the Olympics. A lot of the, you know, just different countries, different nations coming together, showing a little bit about their culture. And uh, some of the things are, are strange, maybe, but some of the things are, you know, very popular. And there's one thing I'm going to show you on a video clip that's um, kind of just caught the world's attention um, when it comes to um, talking about what a culture does. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this term or, or not, but in New Zealand, they call it the haka dance. And uh, some of you may know what that is. Some of you are about to be, you know, familiar, I guess. I'm going to prepare you for that. So prepare yourself because it is something that is strange, but this, these people groups, they, this people group, they do this on a regular occasion. This is something that is traditional. This was something they would do before they would go into battle. Whether they 
were going to be victorious or not, they were letting you know that they were not going to step down from any challenge. This is why they would do this. Sometimes it would be for the purpose of bringing intimidation. Sometimes it was recognizing a new family member after they got uh, a couple gets married. So if you're marrying somebody who maybe is from that culture, prepare yourself, okay, for that. Um, and, and as best as you can. I don't know how else to put it. But um, there, there are different ways they would do this. They, they even now they do it at sporting competitions as a way of just, you know, it's, a, it's just an intro into who they are. And now as they do this, before they even do it, it doesn't matter what nation they're playing, everybody just roars and applause because they're so excited to see this haka dance. So we're going to show uh, an example of that at this time if we can. to prepare you as much as I could. Did I not? Okay. Um, no, it's, uh, you know, I, I watch some of those things just to watch that part, and I don't even watch the game because I just like to see that. I think it's really cool what they do. And uh, if I'm on the other end, I'm kind of, I don't even want to play them because I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me. So um, it's, a, it's a tradition, it's a culture that does that, and it's basically showing to you this is what is important in their community. And uh, really, this is kind of illustrating what um, the Word of God teaches us about what's important in a community of believers. What does Jesus say that is so important, so vital in a believer's life? As you come to a place called the church and meet together with people, you know that there are problems, there are successes, there are failures, all these different things. So how does a person operate in the community of faith? How does somebody become a disciple the way Jesus wants them to be? and is encouraging them to be, and is challenging them to be. Because a lot of times what happens, you know, we, we forget the, the important thing Jesus told his disciples before he left the planet. And let me challenge your thinking. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Go and make disciples. Notice he didn't say, go and make new converts. That is part of the discipleship process. There is a beginning called salvation. But as you grow as a believer, you're becoming more and more like a disciple Jesus has intended you to be. And so this morning, as we walk in this, in our relationship with God, Jesus is challenging each and every one of us to be a better disciple than we've ever been before. This is something that will challenge an individual, and there are times where people will 
will distance themselves from the Lord because it gets too difficult. And we're going to talk about those things this morning, as Jesus will clearly talk about in this scripture. And so this morning, I hope that we understand this morning that God desires for us to live in the blessing of community. And as you read this passage, um, you may be uh, somewhat challenged, somewhat encouraged, or you may just be like, well, I don't think that's such a great thing at all. I don't think that's a good idea at all. I don't I don't see the benefit from this at all, the way you're explaining it to me. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, whoever tries to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for the sake of me will find life in me. So Jesus is very clear that the way you and I see and do things a lot of times are the opposite. And this is what the disciples are doing. They're following Jesus. They're trying to figure this whole thing out. How am I supposed to be the disciple Jesus has asked me to be? And he's calling us to be because it seems like every time we have an idea of who we're supposed to be, he tells us the opposite. And we keep falling short of who we're supposed to be. So they ask him plainly, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We've heard you talk about it. So please tell us what you expect. Because Jesus is at this point in his ministry where opposition has increased and has become more intense. And in fact, Jesus knows this, that the cross is soon. And so he's got to show them and share with them what he considers to be so important in a church, in a community of believers, as we would call it at times. This is what Jesus considers to be important, and this is what it will bring to your life. The first thing Jesus is going to tell us that community brings, the blessing that it brings, is it brings humility. It tells us this in verse 1 through 9 about the blessing of humility. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble... It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes be thrown into the fire of hell. A very challenging scripture because what people like to use in Matthew 18 is actually they like to point to Matthew 15 through 20, which talks about addressing other people's failures and faults. That's what people like to look to and they they use as a guide, which is, it is a guide. But at the same time, Jesus starts off before he gets into verses 15 through 20 about addressing someone else who has committed a sin Jesus first says, humble yourself first. Approach the throne of grace and ask God, is there anything in my life that I am doing that has been rebellious to you? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you first got to be like this child, right? He pulls a child into the illustration. He's not talking about, um, you know, as, as a child, maybe you've experienced this as a parent at one point or another, as a grandparent, aunt or an uncle, children, can be a little bit rebellious. Am I right? So Jesus isn't pointing to that. What he's pointing to is the fact that a child needs a parent in their life 
to survive, right? A child, as a, as a baby, as an infant, needs a parent in their life to live. They can't do it by themselves. So this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, humble yourself to the point of where you look to God the Father as your parent and say, God, I need to know how to live life. I need to know what is important and what's not so important as I once thought. Jesus is clearly telling us, if you want to follow him, you've got to humble yourself like a child and say, here I am, I'm vulnerable, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a perfect individual whatsoever, but I'm going to humble myself before you because you've told me that I must be like a child and I need a parent like you in my life. Some of you may have good parents, some of you may not have had great parents, but understand that there's no better parent than God the Father. He's the one that shows us how to live life. He will bless us. He will discipline. He will often even have to rebuke us if necessary because he's so concerned about you. He's so concerned about me. And so this morning as Jesus talks about this, he tells them, this is what you first start off. You start off, whether it's becoming a believer, for the, you know, you're confessing with your mouth, he is Lord, or you're at a place of where you've got to get into this chapter or verses 15 through 20 where you're about to approach somebody who sinned against you jesus says first humble yourself and i and and evaluate who you are what are some areas of your life that maybe you've neglected or not willing to change and you've been rebellious in fact it's not a slip up it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle a pattern of behaviors that have been sinful in the eyes of god what are You've got to humble yourself first before you start pointing out stuff. Because this is what Jesus said. You could be so concerned about the dust in somebody else's eye that you forgot about the plank that's in your own. Very strong words from Jesus. But he's getting to a point because he's understanding that if you ignore the things in your life, you don't, you're not understanding the mercy and graciousness of our Lord so that when you go to that other person and try to address their issue, you're not going to give them grace and mercy at all. In fact, you're going to do it in a way that doesn't honor God you can quote scripture if you want, but you're not doing it in a way that honors the Lord. You can speak the truth, but what did Jesus say? Speak it in love. There's a difference between speaking the truth and then speaking it with love. You can speak it, but not honor the Lord. So the Lord tells us, and Jesus is telling them, if you want to be first, be last. I mean, this is shocking. Like they've been told their whole life, get ahead in life, just like our culture. Get ahead in life. Be first. Be the best. Make the most money. Be the most successful. Jesus is saying, no, that's not the life I have for you. Be last. Well, Jesus, if I'm last, I'm not going to have anything left. I'm going to be left behind. This is the point that Jesus is making, is that this is going to be so important for you to live out that you're going to have to constantly rely on me because I'm your parent. So God is going to be your parent. So once you've addressed that whole problem, in your life, evaluating yourself, then you have to understand that you have to come to a point as a believer, if you're saying, he is my Lord, he is my God, then you have to start to live according to his standard, not according to your standard, which is very difficult to do at times. Just bring up any kind of a situation in your life that maybe the scripture speaks against. For example, the, the scripture speaks against a lot, of, a lot of things. You can end up um, helping a believer to sin. In fact, Jesus addresses this issue. He says, woe to that person who causes someone else to stumble. A little one. What is he talking about? He even addresses it. and says, a believer in me. You could cause somebody to drift away if you continue in the pattern of behavior that you're in. He says, woe to that person to whom it comes. 
He says, be careful, evaluate yourself. It's good to evaluate yourself because it's a process of restoration. You want to you be restored back to the Lord. And so as a disciple, you want to become a disciple, but you want to become even better disciples day after day. The little Christ is the definition of a Christian. And so as we look at this scripture, there are so many things Jesus will address. Paul addresses, I mean, you name it, it's been addressed. Paul will address this, Jesus addressed this, but this is how you can end up leading a believer astray or leaving or, or causing somebody to go astray who's seeking after God, who's wanting to figure this whole thing out. Jesus says, be cautious, because you could end up lying or have a believer lie for you to cover your tracks. That's a Jesus moment where he says, woe to you, because you have caused somebody to stumble. You put pressure on them to stumble. And Jesus says, don't do that because you could lead that person astray or somebody who, who's looking on the outside of this situation thinking, I know they're lying. I, I thought a Christian's supposed to be better than this. And they could be a non-believer. A lot of times, non-believers seem to know what sin looks like better than Christians do. Don't they? I mean, haven't you heard that before? I mean, you're like, I thought that was a sin in the Bible. And why are, so it bring, what is it doing? It's causing confusion. Because why? You're not representing yourself. You're representing the gospel. It's more than just you. It's about humbling yourself. You could, you could do a number of different things. You could gossip about somebody in the church. Well, man, did you hear about so-and-so? Like, I heard they did this, and you know what? I saw something like that the other day with them, and you know what? I think this is what's really going on in their life, and really this is, it's not good, and you know, I've, I've heard this from this person, and you start, you start telling them facts that aren't even facts. You start giving them information, giving a believer information, and you're tempting this believer to be involved with your conversation. How many times, how many friends have I had, they're, they're not in church today because simply they saw things that Christians didn't even recognize anymore as sinful. And they were like, listen, I am even better than that individual, so why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to be a believer? I'm better than them. I'm, I'm not doing that. I know for a fact that's a sin, and they don't even believe in the Bible. They don't even believe in God. It's very, very, this is why Jesus is, is spending a whole lot of time here. He's saying, get aware of these situations and be careful. There could be a number of different things. Uh, your, your identity as far as what marriage would look like. Your, your way of how you walk in a relationship. You could have sex before marriage. And God says, listen, marriage is defined by me. It's not defined by culture. It's not defined by you. You say, well, I just, I don't agree. Listen, I'm not telling you anything. That, these aren't my words. If you have a problem, hopefully you don't have a problem with me. You've you're got to take it to God's word and start to look at it and say, Jesus is telling me something. And he's trying to make me aware because he wants me to be restored. And the process of restoration is walking daily with the Lord. Well, you say, well, yeah, I don't think it's a big deal to get drunk. Well, yes, it is. It's a big deal. Because your judgment and behavior, according to your own behaviors, you can't control yourself. You don't know what's really going on. You, you could end up getting, encouraging somebody else to do the same thing with you. And you can end up confusing other people, trying to figure out, I thought this whole God thing was, you're supposed to stay away from that stuff. Because they know. It's in the Bible. You can't ignore it. Well, that's just for that particular time. No, Jesus is being clear. The culture will change, but my message will stay the same. You don't normalize it in my, in my life. You don't normalize it in my kingdom, in other words. It may be normal in a culture, but it's not normal in mine. In other words, address it as a believer. If you truly love the Lord. This is why 
Judas fell away because he started to figure out more and more about Jesus, and he started thinking, I don't want that. I, yeah, I'm a one of the 12 disciples. He was called a disciple, was he not? One of the 12. And what did he do? He said, I don't want that anymore. No, I'm out. I'm out. And he sold out Jesus. It's an important thing to know that we follow his ways because he died for the cross. He died on the cross for you to be set free from sin, not so you can entertain it. It's important that we set ourselves apart and say, you know what? I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that person because God calls, he's calling me out. And I want to follow that. And it's hard. I understand it's hard because I've walked in it. I've had to walk at it at times and say, you know what? It's hard, but you know what? And sometimes I just want to be selfish, but I'm like, no, something keeps pulling me back to him. Something keeps telling me it's worth it. And it's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you. He's telling you it is worth it. Trust me. So a lot of times we have to address these issues in our own life. So how do you do it? Well, Jesus is clear as day. He says, cut it off. Are we literally cutting off arms and legs and everything else? No, we're not literally doing that. That's not what Jesus is getting at. But he's saying, listen, you've got to set up boundary lines in your life for you to conquer this issue. And, it, and I love it because Jesus will talk about it and how the process of restoration works. How does God the Father do it? Verses 15 through 20 show us he does it through people. Isn't that amazing? He does it through people. God doesn't just speak in an audible voice, although he's known to do that in the Bible a few times. But rather, he uses people to bring the process of restoration into reality. This is why Connect Groups is not just, oh, that's a cool idea, let's just go with it. No, this is biblical. This is biblical. That you and I humble ourselves to let people in in our life, know your, your, your fears, your failures, all these different things. Well, I just don't think they're going to respond correctly. Listen, I don't know how people are going to respond in another church or other Christians are going to respond. I'll tell you how this church and this leadership will respond. We will respond with mercy and grace. We understand that we all have failures and there's a process to restoration. And we want you to experience the beauty and wonder of who God is through the process of restoration in your life. For some, you need to make your, a decision to follow Jesus. That's where you start. For others, as you're trying to follow the Lord, there are things in your life that you need to change. The first thing is you need to do is you need to get somebody else in your life who can help you and keep you accountable because they can't carry a burden they don't know about. They have to, under, they have to know. You know say, oh, I just don't know. I just don't want to be that. I, I, I have this mindset of who I'm supposed to be, and I'm supposed to be the strong person. Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it for me, you will find it. I'm, and I'm begging with you begging with a lot of people. Don't try to save your life because you're going to lose. I know it. I've walked in it. I've had family members walk in it and they had to lose in order to win. They had to lose to themselves. They had to, and when they did, there's Jesus. There he is. He becomes your parent because he loves and he cares. I spent a lot of time on that point for a reason. Second point, protection. Verses 10 through 14, there is a blessing that comes from a community. It's called protection. There's a protection there that God gives. It says that you do not despise any of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven will always see the face of my Father. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go after the one that wandered off? If he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one than about the 99 that did not want her off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that anyone should perish. Now, 
Maybe you read your Bible and you started to read it and say, where did verse 11 go? <laughs> All right. So in my Bible, there's footnote about what verse 11 would look like. Um, so in early manuscripts, they didn't have what is placed in verse 11 there. Later manuscripts have it. And it's not some new theology. It's not some new thinking. It is a way for the reader to understand the transition that takes place between verse 10 and verse 12. And it comes from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is going somewhere. And so this is a process of, of understanding. And it's helping the reader understand where Jesus is going because it's a little bit different in that culture than it is in today's culture, okay? So don't be alarmed. The Word of God has not been changed, okay? So it is not some new theology. It's not something that they just brought out of nowhere. They bring it from Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Everybody with me? Amen? Okay, I, I'm assuming that. So it would basically say that in verse 11. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now Jesus is talking about now this is what it's going to look like with God the Father. One sheep goes astray. Understand that it's a sheep. It is, not, it is somebody that is in his, under his authority, under his control as far as a, a believer. In other words, this is not an unbeliever situation. This is a believer situation. One sheep is led astray because the shepherd's over the hundred. One goes away. That means it was under the shepherd at one point in time. So that sheep has wandered off. So what does the shepherd do? A good shepherd. He goes and seeks that sheep out. And if, he's, if, he, if, he do, if, he, if it works, the person will come back and be restored, right? It's about restoration, about receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is an understanding of, of knowing what this is all about. Very quickly, there is a blessing coming from the Word of God when it comes to um, being in a community of believers, being involved being involved and being under protection of believers. Did Jesus ever come into a situation and say, how can these people serve me? Or did Jesus walk into a situation and say, how can I serve them? A lot, it may challenge some people in this room. You're looking for a church to serve you. When Jesus is saying, no, go into that church and say, how can I serve them? Because you're going to go from church to church to church to church, and you're going to be looking, well, they don't have this, they don't have that, they don't have this ministry, they don't have that ministry, and... And you're just going to church hop all along until somebody meets the need that you're, you're giving out or expecting. And Jesus says, that's not what a disciple does. That's not what my disciple does. My disciple walks into the, into the church and a community of believers and says, what can I do to contribute? Not what I can do to take. Jesus says to follow him, to serve people, to serve God. And watch how the needs of your life get met. You serve people first. That's a, a good challenge. And there's a protection that comes when you do that as a follower of Christ. There is a blessing. There is a protection there that it says the angels in heaven are aware so that if somebody takes advantage of you as a disciple of Jesus Christ, because if you humble yourself, how many know if you try to be last all the time and put other people first, somebody's going to take advantage of that eventually, right? That's just the process and how our world works. But understand this. God says, I have protection over your life when you respond righteously. The person who responded unrighteous, their issue, their motive will be revealed. Because you know why? Because God doesn't let wickedness just go away and ignore it. He addresses it. And hopefully he addresses it before he has to address it up there. Hopefully he addresses it while they're here. And a lot of times, I've seen this hundreds of times. Somebody's motive gets revealed because they took advantage of a humble believer. And the humble believer is proven to be righteous. 
in the situation that they faced. Because God said there is a protection there. I will protect my people. I am their parent. I am, a, I am their father. And what does, father, what does a good father do? He protects his kids. This is a blessing of God. And this is why the shepherd goes and runs after that one who's astray. Because you know why? Because he knows what will happen if you discontinue with the family of believers, if you discontinue from being involved in the church, because he knows the protection and blessing will be gone, and he doesn't want that for your life. He wants you to be better than that. He wants you to experience that protection. That's why he goes through such extreme lengths to find you and to get you. And how does he do it? This is disciples. They're tracking with Jesus. They're not confused. They're tracking. And they say, they're basically, and this is what Jesus is doing here. He goes right into it. How does, one, how does God the Father do it then, right? How does he do it? What is the process? 15 through 20, he tells us he does it through people. He tells us this, that, and I'm just going to paraphrase for the sake of time. He tells us this, that if somebody has sinned against you, not offend, you can be offended by a million different things. Can we not? You can be offended by something that no one else is offended by. No, God's saying if somebody sins against you it may be directly or indirectly what do you mean by indirectly pastor bobby i'm saying that they are giving a representation of the gospel that is not true they are involved in something a lifestyle that's confusing you or it's confusing another believer or it's confusing somebody who's seeking the bible says if you know that that pattern of lifestyle is going on you are responsible to go and dress them notice it says you not pastor paul not me Not anybody else, not spiritual leadership, you. God has given, and this is what Jesus says, I have given you authority on heaven and earth to do these things in my name. If two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. that's, That's in this passage right here. You know why? Because Jesus is saying, I have given you authority to be a part of this process of restoration. It's crossed your mind and you've seen it because God knows that he can trust you with it and you can respond in a way that's honorable to God. So he says, you go and address them. If that doesn't work, if they don't turn, if it's a misunderstanding, that's one thing. But if they don't turn, you bring two or three witnesses with you. If that, and hopefully, the re- and they don't need to know necessarily about the situation. They just need to observe the conversation and see the, what's going on. And, and as a result, they can see the response. They can see maybe it's a misunderstanding and then we can just let it go. Or maybe, no, there's something here and the other believers that are mature enough to handle that situation, they don't need to know everything, but they see and they observe. You know, then they, then they start to say, hey, you know what, there is something here. And if that person still doesn't repent and they confess and turn, then, then that's when you get the pastor involved. And you'll say, well, I just want the pastor to be, be aware of the situation. No, did you address them? Did you go? Did you go? Well, I don't want to be that person. I just, you know, I want to love people. Listen, you're not loving them by letting sin reign in their life. That's not love. That's cruelty. You say, well, I just, I just don't feel comfortable. Listen, if you feel comfortable and excited about doing this, there is something wrong. Honestly, there is something wrong if you are excited about addressing people's conflict. That's when you need to check your heart. If you're, if you're excited about it, you need to humble yourself and evaluate your life before you even go do that, because you can end up destroying that person. So the Bible says you go to them first. You get other mature believers involved if they don't repent from that, because you're not doing them any favors. You're not helping your kids if you're ignoring sin in their life. You're not helping that person that's a believer who's maybe starting to wander off, and you're saying, listen, I understand that you've been doing these things, and 
I'm just letting you know I'm concerned. I'm, I don't want you to be a part of that. I know you're better than that. And I'm asking you, will you please turn from that and stop? I will help you. I will help you, give you advice about the boundaries that you need to set in your life. But listen, will you please turn? That's approaching that person with humility, not lording it over them and saying, I'm better than you. I just want to win the argument. This isn't about winning the argument. This is about restoring somebody back to Christ. Jesus isn't here to try to win an argument. He's trying to restore you. That's the important thing. So if that, if that group, if that few people go and they, they don't turn, then you take it, then you get the pastor involved, and then that's where wisdom is involved here because it depends um, on the situation. They, they address the individual. If they still refuse, then you address it to the church. That could mean a number of different things. That could mean you address the church as a whole. That could mean you could address a ministry team. It could mean you just address a certain you know, spiritual leadership, the board, whatever. It could mean a number of different things as far as how the process of that goes. It really depends on the influence of an individual in their life and how they have uh, influence within the church. And so this is a very important thing. And now, what if that person doesn't turn? The Bible says, then you basically treat them as an unbeliever. So how does that person, how do you do that? You start witnessing to them again. You start telling them about Jesus and saying, listen, get your, right with, get your life right with the Lord. Follow him again. And it sometimes, it does, and this is very rare, sometimes it means excommunication. And you're like, what? And like I said, this is very rare occasions. But this is what Jesus is getting at because he says it right after that. He says, if two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you respond this way obediently, it's not you speaking to them. It's me. I mean, how, how crazy is that? God would be literally speaking to them. And you'd be thinking, how in the world are they still? And it's like happened very rarely this has happened. I've only seen it once or twice in my life. That, that God would go to extreme lengths to restore you. In other words, he's saying, my hand of grace, my hand of mercy, I have to let go. Because I hope that through the failure of your life, you'll come back to me again. It's a process of restoration. It's his love. It's his grace. To say, you know what, I'm going to do this. And you may think, oh, I just don't, I don't agree with that process. I don't agree with that method. Listen, do you know better than the Lord Jesus Christ about restoring people? Or does God know better? God knows. It's not about what we're comfortable doing. It's about what God's word teaches us to do. Address the individual if you have to. Bring people along if they don't listen. Bring the pastoral leadership involved if they don't listen to those people either. This is an important principle for all of us to understand and if, you know, as we, you know, close with this last point very quickly, you know, again, before I, and then listen, I've had this done in my own life. I had a friend of mine, he addressed me privately in a car. When I was a freshman in college, I was home for break. He noticed a pattern of behavior, and we were goofballs together. We probably had a few conversations that were actually serious in life. And, uh, and I'm on my way home in the car, and he's saying, hey, I just, I don't want to be random about this, but I've noticed this pattern of behavior in your life, and I know what you did. I've, I saw it, and I'm seeing a pattern. And in fact, this person that you knew, they've come around church less and less and less because they're, you sinned against them, basically. And I was like, whoa, like, okay, we're going there. So as a believer, you can either get offended or you can listen. Because I started, and I quickly evaluated, and I believe it was the grace of God, and I said, you know what, you're right. I did do that. I did mess up. 
And I started to, and yeah, you're right. That person has come around a lot less. And I said, you know what? When I get home, I'm going to contact that individual. And I did. I contacted them. I said, hey, listen, I did this, and I told you I wasn't going to do it, and I did it anyway. And you know I did, and this person knows I did. And you know what? I'm sorry. Forgive me. We need to become best friends after that. But you know what? That person was in church again because they saw what? They saw God's process of restoration working. They saw it. They saw that there was an imperfect situation that was dealt with, and God's grace was given. God's mercy was given. In fact, that's the last point, and we're going to close. The mercy of God is a blessing. It talks about what Peter says here. I'm going to um, paraphrase this very quickly. It's a long, kind of a lengthy passage here, but um, the process of mercy, uh, what Jesus was talking about here, how does a person of mercy, um, how does this work? Peter says, you know, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? Up to seven times. Understand here, you might look at that and be like, oh, that's cool. You know, no, Peter's being very generous according to his culture. Judaism taught three times you forgive, fourth time you have nothing to do with them. Peter's, this is, reveals Peter's heart. This reveals that he's very generous, but God says, no, I want you to be even more generous. Jesus says 77 times. So you're thinking, well, really, 77 times? No. In Judaism, 77 times, if you're saying that, Peter said seven, he's generous, 77 is a lot. You know what I'm saying? That's insane. What is Jesus saying? Err on mercy, don't err on being harsh. Err on mercy. If you want to forgive somebody, forgive them and, and understand that that's exactly what Jesus would do. And he, he illustrates through a servant who came to a king who owed a debt. The king um, said, this is your punishment. The servant begged for mercy. The king canceled his debt. Didn't say you have to pay it back eventually. He said, canceled it. It's gone. That same servant went out. You know, they had, and basically the words that are used for the, the, the money um, was millions of dollars have been canceled. He goes out and he, he gets in the face of a servant. He starts to choke them because that servant owed him a few dollars. I mean, terrible. Injustice. And, you know, throws him in prison until that servant can pay him back. He's in prison. How is he going to pay you back if he's in prison? He can't make money. Right? It's ruthless. The servants find out. They go to the master and they say, this is what's going on. That master calls that wicked servant in and he says, how dare you? I gave you mercy. This is what Jesus says. I've given you mercy, so show mercy. I've given you grace, so show grace. I don't care what they did. Jesus isn't being insensitive. He's saying, listen, err on the side of mercy. You would rather be, he would rather you be merciful and gracious because that's who he is. That's who he's called us to be. But for that servant, he wasn't merciful. He wasn't gracious towards that servant. He put him in prison, and the guy can't even earn money because he's in prison. He gave him a hopeless situation, did he not? Hopeless. So what does God do? He says, you know what? The king does this, and it's really God. He's saying, you know what? You're going to be put in prison for your debt. In fact, you're, you're going to be tortured forever and ever because you're going to be in prison, and you're not going to be able to earn money to pay it back. What is Jesus identifying this, this to be? What's a place where you can no longer pay your debt anymore? Hell. Err on the side of mercy. In other words, be on the side of mercy every single time. And forgive, forgive, forgive. And it may be a process at times, I understand. But forgive and forgive. Because you want Jesus freely gave you grace and mercy. So freely you give grace and mercy. As a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give because he first gave to us. 
You may be saying, well, I don't agree. Listen, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for the sake of him, you will find it. Jesus came to save you, not just from hell, but he also came to give you heaven on earth. So we sang it this morning. Heaven came down. Heaven come down. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Heaven come down. Jesus came to save you more than just from hell. He came to bring heaven down to you and to open up heaven as well. That is mercy and grace at its best. Amen? Amen. This morning, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And this morning, if you are here and you need to get your life right with the Lord, we encourage you to do that this morning. And uh, there's a connect card in your bulletin. Listen, this is the first step in understanding that you've got to humble yourself, that you can't do life alone. This is where people just, they have a hard time doing it. But I'm trusting, I'm trusting that you're going to be willing to do it. And I hope you will. But in your connect card, there's a place that you can fill out before you leave today. Make it a point to do this, that if you want to follow the Lord, there's a box on there that says, today I want to receive Christ. We encourage you to do that, and we plead with you to do that. That's the most important thing. There may be areas of your life that you need to challenge yourself. You need to challenge yourself in a situation where you need to, you need to get rid of that situation, or you need to step away from that particular situation. There may be other things that you need to do. You need to get in a connect group because you need to be accountable to yourself and to God. You may need to be merciful in a situation to provide forgiveness to somebody who needs you, who needs somebody to speak into their life and be merciful and gracious so they can see the process of restoration. I don't know where areas of of your life that it fits into, but please, I encourage you to make those things right today. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives and through our lives. Lord, these connect groups, Lord, we don't do this just for, you know, just for nothing. But God, we do this on purpose. God, we want 100% participation in this church. We don't want 90%. We don't want 99%. Because, Lord, you went after the one who needed to humble themselves, who needed the accountability in their life. Lord, they needed that. And they continued to walk away. But you reached out to them. You went after them as a good shepherd. And so the same way, Lord, we are trying our best to reach out to every person in this room. No one is left behind. So, Lord, this morning we pray for 100% participation. And we believe, God, that through this Lord, people are going to experience the protection and blessing of the Lord that comes of living in community of believers as you have intended it to be. Lord, we thank you. We ask that you would be with us even as we go tonight or this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.